What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here today, flying solo as I record the introduction to a really exciting podcast that Frank and I recently recorded. We recorded a podcast live on stage at the Best Ever Conference. It was an amazing experience. Made us feel a little celebrity-like as a lot of the a lot of folks walked on by, but we answered a lot of cool questions, uh, describing the differences between our market and other markets as we see it, and talked a lot about our stance on this stage of the real estate cycle. So we're about to dive in in a couple seconds here, but we hope you guys really enjoy this one. We had a blast recording at the Best Ever Conference. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Hey, good morning and welcome to the Best Ever Conference. It's a real estate conference. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves for the people out there in our audience. Absolutely. Jimmy Murray here, uh, part of the Cashflow Kings, and I got Frank Petalano to my left. Nice. And... um, so we're gonna go. I've never done one of these conferences before, so this is my first time doing this. So I have a few questions for you guys. You got it. But I was hoping that maybe you guys would have some things that you wanted to talk about. So, what do you? What do you? Uh, do you have something that you'd like to start with, or do you want me to go to my question list? I have some good questions here. Let's roll with the questions. All right. So, so what areas of the market are you guys looking at from an investment perspective? Frank, do you want to dive into that? Sure. So uh, right now, uh, I've been focusing mostly on flips in our local market. We're uh, mostly in the Rhode Island market, so we might take a triplex and fix and flip it. Uh, not doing a lot of buy and hold in our own personal market, but also spending a lot of time um, doing some syndication stuff outside of our area. So uh, we like uh, like Kansas City, Missouri, Oklahoma City, and recently just uh, GP'd a 50 unit in Pocatello, Idaho. Nice, nice. Uh, what types of real estate do you gentlemen specialize in, if any? Yeah, so by day I'm a property manager, managing just under 700 units in the Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts market. Oh, wow. Um, but where we've specialized and found a niche are on those owner-occupied multifamily flips, so from two to three units. Hmm. We'll rehab one unit really nicely, leave it vacant, put it on the market in order to attract that top dollar um, on the flip in the flipping game. Nice, nice. Um, what areas of the market would you not touch? I guess I'm really just focused on our, our local market, but uh-huh. I would say it, it's more demographic-based, right? So I know a lot of folks were talking yesterday about the, the types of demographic and the classes that they like to invest in. Um, I really like C properties and B neighborhoods hmm. because then you can bring that property up to a B quality, and that's where you find that value add. Where That's I, where the money is at. Where I don't like to invest are D neighborhoods. They are mm. very difficult to manage and buy. It may have a high rate of return, but it's a lot of headaches too. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Um, how is technology impacting the way that you do your business? I love that. That's like a I'll softball. I'll let you go first and then I'll, I'll, I'll hit the homer on it. So uh, I used to work for Fidelity Investments and they okay. used to talk about how they're a technology firm that invest in mutual funds or offers mutual funds, right? Right. So I took that into our property management business where we are a technology firm. So the biggest thing is we want the tenants to adopt the technology so that the owners have more insight. Whether you wake up in the middle of the night and want to see if we've been able to get prospective tenants out to a rental listing, or if you're trying to look back at that $200 plumber's bill from a month ago. Um, The big thing is it all starts in the beginning. So we have a very automated process in terms of trying to find tenants. 
um, on the technology side. So they have to sign up via our website to schedule a showing. And then there's multiple touch points thereafter that get them comfortable with technology. Mm -hmm. But that allowed us to streamline providing metrics to our owners, which hopefully provides a higher ROI at the end of the day. Nice. For me with uh, technology, I think social media is like so amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, we are everywhere. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, everywhere else. And uh, it's really brought us a lot of... Um, a lot of good deals, it's brought us a lot of connections, it's uh, brought us a lot of networking that I wouldn't have found any other way, especially yeah. as we're looking at other markets. I mean, you put out something on social media and you get questions, we've gotten questions from Austria, the country, uh -huh. uh, even in Austin, Texas, you know, all in the same day on the same picture, so it's amazing. That's pretty wild, actually. Yeah, yeah the, the internet is pretty neat for connecting people like that. That's, that's pretty cool, man. Definitely. What are the potential business disruptors as you see them in the real estate investment business? I'm looking at you. So I think it's going to be the power of using social media to continue to grow that network, right? That can be one of the major disruptors. Uh, we just watched a presentation by someone who launched what is now quite a crowdfunding company. But I think in order to kind of shorten that learning curve or shorten that curve of finding investors to work with, I think social media can really help out with that. Hmm. For disruptors, I'm thinking more like um, in a few years down the road, what are potential places to invest and not invest? So disruptors I see is what happens if you have a new generation that doesn't like the uh, the downtown, the inner city vibe anymore. Hmm. And uh, you, know, you have people that are investing very, very much in the major cities. Well, maybe we'll go back to the uh, bigger investment in the suburbs where they don't need to be in that 24-7 because they need, they need more privacy and personal space, especially with uh, social media being all over the place. So changing tastes might disrupt what people are interested in. Hmm. All right. Definitely. Uh, what types of real estate do we need more of? What types of units do we need more built out there? Well, I, I think we need a lot more of the upper echelon uh, working class. Uh, we have a lot of people that work very hard and they shouldn't have to have super high housing costs. Right. You know, so somebody that, that works uh, full-time at Walmart um, should not be struggling to find an apartment, a decent one anyway, anywhere in the country. I agree. And, you know, coming out of Denver, Denver is exceptionally expensive in that yeah. respect, right? Like, there's a premium charge to live in a big metro area, and especially in Colorado. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's really related to commercial and industrial space, right? So you think about the Amazonification of America, mm. I think you're going to need a lot more of that space. And I know that I heard earlier that Denver kind of pre-built a lot of that stuff. Right. But I think that's going to lead to an opportunity really across the country as they try to shorten that supply chain and get things to consumers faster. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What makes a property attractive to you from an investment standpoint? I, I want to see that cash flow. So really, I want to work towards a net dollars per door, right? So you build out the pro forma and then... Typically, the performer, when you're trying to get to that cap rate, you're not factoring in debt service. So I want to know that all-in number on a monthly basis mm -hmm. of that net income dollars per door. In our local market, it's anywhere from $125 to $200 per door. That's where we like to be on a buy and hold. Hmm. So uh, let's see. For me, uh, I like to buy things that have the biggest differential between the original price uh, that I'm buying it for and what the market price is. Right. So... Um, I'm not saying I want to buy in war zones or anything else, but just the whole concept that we bought an off-market deal where the average rents per door were 780 a, a unit, 
and uh, we did we did full rehabs on some of the units. We we raised everybody to the nine fifty without doing a thing. Wow, and that was still under market, and nobody left. Yeah, and not, not and one person left. left. Yeah, but uh, a couple a couple cried, but nobody left. Well, and it's an yeah. interesting thing. You, sometimes you know that hey, this is the best deal in town. Even if they jack the rent up on me, this is still the best deal in town. Yeah, and, and that's uh, kind of been our strategy, though, right? Absolutely. Fi- finding those properties that have under market rents. And then you increase it kind of just below market because the tenant's going to know they're still getting a good deal, and moving is very expensive. Right. So, so a year a, a year after we had bought it, after doing a full rehab on one of the units, we moved in somebody at twelve hundred dollars a unit. Yep. Wow. Yep. So the rents continue to increase. Wow. Given we then had to spend capex, but when you buy that below market building, you increase just below market, you get that revenue push that falls directly to your bottom line because you don't have that increased capex that you're going to have to pay off for the next couple months from that turnover. Hmm. Hmm. What kind of issues would be a red flag that would stop a deal from going through for you guys? My biggest thing, I would say my biggest worry are always structural issues. Um, Foundations, man, big, yeah. super expensive stuff. Yeah, that stuff, you, you don't know until you get into it. Right. Um, but obviously, if you can steal something, then, then we're willing to tackle it. Based on my experience, I've been investing for seven years now. Nothing else really scares me. It's kind of like that, like, I think about fear fast factor. We were joking about Joe Rogan before. Yeah. Right? Um, fear factor, you, like, fill out that application of what scares you, and then that's probably what you're going to be doing on the show. Um, in multifamily, I guess it's kind of the same thing. You try to price those fears up front. Um, so to get back to your question, structural is really the biggest thing that scares me away from a deal. Yeah, I agree. Foundational issues is my biggest uh, worry as well. Um, on the multifamily space, uh, beyond that, in other spaces, I mean, we don't personally touch gas stations, just too many environmental issues. I worry a lot about um, environmental issues. We had a tenant, uh, not in one of my buildings, but in a friend's building, who was not happy with him and kicked out the... Uh, the oil line. Oh, and, and, yeah. And this was, uh, you know who it is. Yeah. And uh, this was a $25,000 cleanup. Oh, wow. And that's probably cheap, right? Yeah, because um, it was in a it was in a basement that was uh, it wasn't fully finished. So it just soaked right into the ground. Wow. You Did know? you guys have to come in and dig out all the dirt and all of that? They did. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't us. It was a friend, though. Wow. Wow. Because, I mean, that's really serious. That's a serious... That's a yeah, problem. this was such a yeah. triplex too. So you know, it's not like the price per doors would really average out to a. And and was it kerosene or fuel oil or? It was um, heating oil. Yeah, heating it was heating oil. oil. Home okay. okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. My next question: What are you guys personally hoping to get out of attending this conference? Yeah. So Frank's tagline is always be networking. Mm-hmm. And if I had to piggyback on that, my biggest tagline is always be learning. So I'm a huge book nerd. I love reading books. Constantly trying to pick up new information to consistently try to become a better version of myself. Nice. So learn from other folks across the country, hear about some things that they're investing in, see if we can take that back home to our local market and, and make some money. Nice. Yeah, so I, I, like to, um, I like to go to one massive uh, networking event a month or every two months at least. So we've been uh, all over the country with this stuff. And it, as you know, uh, multifamily space, is a, there's more people always adding all the time, but you start to see people that you know at every single event. Mm. Which is pretty awesome, and that's how you get deals. I mean, I've been brought into deals because it's who you know. Right? Absolutely. Now, you know, I come out of the entertainment business, same thing. Biggest, smallest business in the world. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> All right, so if you guys could change something about how your business works or gets things done, what would that one thing be? Yeah, so I'll dive in. Yesterday, um, so it was, it was kind of a new format here at Best Ever. Okay. But there was one gentleman who got on stage, and he talked about how he had this eight-hour turnover process. And it's not just as guys going and changing some flooring. I mean, 
they're fully rehabbing bathrooms and kitchens, and it's an eight-hour turnover process. So we joke that the tenants leave for work in the morning, and they come home, and they have a brand-new unit. I mean, we have, we're working on a project right now. It's taken three weeks to turn over a unit because you got the, we had to reorder windows. Uh, we had to order granite. It takes time for those things to come in. Right. So I think in the gentleman who, who spoke last night, I think in his business, because units are fairly standard, they can order all the materials up front, oh. and they have a standard process. So if I can take that back home to make my team faster at the turnover process, decrease vacancy costs, we all win. So almost like creating a, uh, an, a, a mass assembly line for doing apartments or doing flips. Absolutely. Mm. Speed kills. Yeah. Speed kills yeah, in right? this business. <laughs> yeah. Time is money. Yeah. Money is time. Definitely. How about you? Uh, can you repeat the question? The, the question was, if you could change something about how your business works or gets things done, what would that one thing be? Um, for me, I think it's more just uh, time issues. I mean, I have, I have virtual assistants, I have everything else. I think it's more organization myself, personal organization on what I can get done. Uh, I've read a few books on it. Uh, I've always been a little sporadic, like all over the place. But at the same point, I do know what I do need to get done. So every day it's like, I have to just organize it better. Yeah. The one thing you can't buy more of is time, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, and you know what? That's not a bad thing, though, because Warren Buffett, uh, he calls it his five and 25 list. So uh -huh. he makes a list of 25 things. And then he circles the top five that he has to get done. Oh. And he says the other 20 really don't matter, which I don't know if I fully buy into that, but that's kind of like your mentality, right? Well, well, Warren's pretty darn successful, yeah. so we can, we <laughs> can just go off that. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, we can just go off that. Hmm, all right. Uh, what are you guys excited for in real estate today? Yeah, I'm really excited for the market to turn eventually. I know that. I know that's kind of like a bear mentality, uh -huh. but I... You know, I started investing in 2010, right when I got out of college. I didn't realize how strong the real estate market was. And honestly, I was kind of like, um, I was, I was, I'm trying to think of the word. I was a little bit spoiled in terms of the returns that I could get. So uh, knowing what I know now, having access to the capital that I have now, I'm really excited for that market to turn mm. because real estate's never going to go away. People always need housing. There's always going to be an opportunity to rehab a distressed property and make dollars that way, whether it be a flip or that monthly cash flow and a buy and hold. Right. So I'm in the, I'm in the same boat. Uh, it's not the only thing, but it's exciting me where we are in the market, but it'll excite me more. Uh, that two years from now or whatever, when, uh, when we hit that spot where uh, people get a little fearful. The biggest problem right now is that people are not weighing risk well enough, mm. okay? Uh, it's like, I see properties all the time. It's like, well, that's a pretty risky uh, property. And it's like, people are still paying ridiculous numbers for them. It's like, some of them need to be a little bit, bit in the butt a little bit just to wise up. I mean, I've lost money on deals, but... Uh, some people haven't seen that yet. They just read um, or they watch some YouTube videos about getting rich quick. And they haven't, gotten, they haven't been burned. There you go, yeah. And you yeah. know what? The, the thing that we joke about is that real estate is the best get-rich-slow scheme around. So uh, we're totally open to taking our time and making sure that we have that, the right deal to fulfill our cash flow needs. You know, we say in the concert business, you know how to make $2 million in the concert business or you know, a million dollars in the concert business? Start with two. Yeah, Start yeah. with two, right? right. So, yeah, yeah. So, so probably the same thing in, in the real estate business for sure. Now, I have a couple questions about commercial real estate, but if you guys don't deal with commercial real estate at all or you're not interested, I'll just not ask you those guys, those questions. When you say commercial, are you talking uh, commercial, commercial, like uh, yeah. office so, and stuff like that? Well, so I was going to say, how do you think online sales are impacting brick and mortar locations? And are they more attractive or less attractive from an investment perspective? Now, if that doesn't mean anything to you, you, you don't have to answer it, but... I would say for my, my 
it's not something I'm well versed in. Mm-hmm. But I would like we were joking about the Amazonification of America. Mm-hmm. I think it is going to add pressure to those types of businesses. Um, I think that malls need to become more lifestyle centers. Um, it's funny. That's exactly what I was thinking. Is that you need to design it more around getting people in there as a lifestyle thing right. instead of just a shopping thing. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I see that a lot in the Boston uh, area markets uh, where I'm seeing like real lifestyle centers where you have all that combo into into one facility and it's like, wow, this is a cool place to be. I'd want to be here myself more often. Well, and I've, I've often wondered about, there are a lot of abandoned malls in America. What about converting them over into a lot of housing and then a bunch of spaces in there that's like, you know, nightclub, all of that stuff. I kind of wonder about that. Like, so the if biggest, there's a future there. I, I, think it, I think it's a viable play. Yeah. Absolutely. It is a viable play, but I think some of it has to do with um, the local government. Mm. We, so I come from an area that's uh, not necessarily pro-business in any way. So when we've thought of creative things, it's usually shut down automatically. Oh. So, I mean, at the same point, um, Walmart's not going away today. Uh, people forget about how big they are on the online space, stuff like that. And you're still going to need, I mean... Until they have those little things that like fly in that delivery or something like that, I still uh, love going to a place looking for a deal, stuff like that. I don't see as many deals online like those unadvertised specials when I walk through a store. Right, right, right. All right. Um, what is your opinion of the real estate market where you guys are from? And and tell me one more time where you come from. Yeah, so we're based out of Rhode Island. Oh, okay. And uh, the market's super hot, not as hot as Boston. So. We know that we're late stage in the real estate cycle. Anytime Boston investors start to matriculate down to the Rhode Island market, um, so with that transition of investors bringing capital from Boston down into Rhode Island, we have seen cap rates compress substantially. Mm. So now, build, multifamily buildings are trading at cap rates that are below what our risk tolerance would be. But that hasn't stopped the Boston investors because they think it's great because they know how low the cap rates are. Mm. Um, but I think that that just being a bear again, I think that provides us that opportunity a couple of years down the road when they start to run into some issues. Nice. So for me, uh, I had 98% of my assets just in Rhode Island real estate, so about a year and a half ago, and I said, you know what? We're considered tax hell. CNBC calls us the worst place to start a business, so I needed to move some money around. That's why I invested in five of the markets last year, which is pretty cool, and I've already invested in uh, two new markets this year. Wow. I'm not in February yet. Nice. So, yeah, so uh, I just have to get some money out there. Don't get me wrong, I love Rhode Island, but as Jimmy said earlier, I'm so spoiled by the price difference. I mean, yeah. you might have a triplex that in 05 sold for 275 I bought it at the foreclosure in 2009 for 129000 Right. Right now it's back up to that $275,000 level. Wow. And I don't consider it, if people that are buying, I don't see them getting a positive uh, return on that. If they're, le- you know, if they're leveraging a standard 75% more to value. Yeah. You know, at the same point, uh, we've been doing the last year and a half, we focus mostly on uh, fix and flips. When uh, I have a bunch of buy and holds, but I haven't bought a buy and hold in the last year and a half. Yep. In yep. our local market. Hmm. Uh, do you guys have any nuggets of wisdom from your investing experiences that you'd like to share with the folks out there? My biggest takeaway is always take action, right? So I can remember one of the first Bigger Pockets podcasts I listened to. The guest on the podcast talked about how massive action generates massive results. And too often I find when we go out to these real estate meetups or local RIA meetups, folks come into that room and they get stuck in analysis paralysis and they don't take any action. So if you guys are listening in, you got to go out there and take action. If you fail, that's going to provide a great learning opportunity and just continue to go out there and continue to get after it. 
and strike while the iron is hot. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what I'll add to Jimmy is, is just the whole concept that no risk, no reward. I mean, we have so many people that are out there and they say they want to be in real estate, but they, they haven't made enough offers or they haven't looked enough properties. Or, uh, you know, you got to get into one. And it's okay to lose money on one once in a while. I mean, we take some risks sometimes. Uh, I've definitely lost money on a few deals, but I made a heck of a lot of money on others. But if you don't continually be out there making offers, you're not going to continually be learning. Absolutely. And as you know, the business has changed so much every year. It keeps uh, keeps getting harder. And uh, you see people that walk in, it's like, oh, my God, they have so much knowledge. I was such an idiot when I started over 10 years ago, you know? Well, <laughs> they have the Internet to help them out now, right? They can sit there and watch all kinds of videos yeah. and learn stuff. Honestly, that speeds up the learning curve so substantially. Like, you see folks go out and they'll pay thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 for a mentor. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if that's your first foray into the real estate world, that is a bad thing, right? So go out, take advantage of those free RIA meetups, take advantage of those free forums like a Bigger Pockets or even all the podcasts out there. Shorten that learning curve. And then when you figure out what you want to do, then spend the $30,000 on the mentor that's going to coach you on the niche that you want to be a part of. So a lot of the people that we, uh, that we teach and educate through our podcasts and our events are mostly um, smaller multifamily house hackers. People mm. that are just getting out there, they they want to own property. They figure, you know what? Why don't we own a multi where we can rent one of the units? And I still think that is the best strategy if you don't own anything right now to get out there and do it. And and that way you're close by the property too. So if there's something crazy going on there, you can kind of monitor what's happening there too. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, definitely. And like I said, uh, if you're going to pay rent to somebody, there's nothing wrong with paying rent to yourself. If you know what I mean, <laughs> right? You know, and you and you learn. So Be your sometimes. Own bank. Sometimes you get that deal where instead of it being, uh, say that the at market rent in your area is a thousand dollars a month, uh, you might be able to shave a few hundred dollars off yourself. Right. Oh, and you know, you bring up a really great point that you can reduce your own costs by doing that. Yeah. Absolutely, that's a that's a really yeah, good we, point. Well, so Jimmy and I did a podcast where he bought a, a, a quadruplex and he lived in it and didn't pay a diamond mortgage for years. Yeah, so I'd lived there for free and made about $500 a month. So not a bad gig. No utilities. Everything was covered. Wow. And uh, that really set me off to the races. But that goes back to that point that I was so spoiled on my first deal. And I wish that I had have had access to more capital and more of a knowledge to know how good of a stage of the cycle we were in at that point. Nice. How to live rent-free. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's more valuable than gold right there. Absolutely. That's truth. All right, gentlemen, so how can people contact you if they'd like to speak with you? Go ahead and give us your email addresses and if you'd like, your phone number and maybe your social media. I love that. So we always dive into social media first. So okay. if you guys are interested in learning more, check us out at on Instagram. Uh, our handle is the Cashflow Kings. That's going to be the best way to reach out to us. Shoot us a DM. Any questions that you guys have, Frank's typically the one in the DM, so he'll be able to help you out. Then, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I mean, uh, let's see. We're coming up on 10,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. Yeah, we're doing, you know, we post every single day. It's all about focus, focus, focus. But, I mean, we're all on the other social media platforms. We're here to help. Uh, we do give a lot of free advice and value. Um, the best way to contact me would be uh, frank at ribuy.com, which is rhodeislandbuy.com. Okay. And, yeah, and I'll jump in with my email as well. Go ahead. So my email is going to be jim at lion l-y-o-n propertygroup.com so if any investors are interested in the rhode island southeastern massachusetts market reach out to me i'm local property manager and i'll give you really candid advice to help you make money in that market you know we do charge for mentoring, but we give free advice every day we're here to help people uh, i have a background i was a 17-year full-time school teacher so. oh wow yeah. cool cool 
All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on the Best Ever Conference podcast. It's been great having you. Um, I'm going to go ahead. I don't know exactly when I'll get this ready for you, but you guys will have a copy of it soon. Perfect. Okay. We're not worried at all. Thank you very much for the time, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you. you.